0: Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the General Equality Channel. My name is Hitzer. Uh, this month, well this week actually, <laughs> this is the last Behold Podcast of the year, Uh, we are wrapping it off, much like we wrapped up last year, with the best films from the second half of 2022. Mm. Why just the second half? Because we already covered the best films from the first half of 2022, earlier on in in June. So, scroll back to our archives, back to the June section, Mm -hmm. check out our our best films from 2022. uh, from the first half of 2022 over there, we got a bunch of goodies, including the worst person in the world, and so on. So if your favorites are not on this list right now, maybe it's because they were back in our first list uh, from the first half of 2022. Yeah. We're just here to cover the films that... Okay, here's the disclaimer that came out in Singapore <laughs> from July to December. Yeah. So we're we functioning as Singaporeans. We live in Singapore, if you didn't know. Uh, we're functioning according to the Singaporean film schedule. So most of these films appear in Singapore either on VOD, streaming, Blu-ray, or cinemas July onwards. Mm-hmm. So which is why this is the way it is. So these are the best. uh, The, the four highlights from the second half of 2022. Yeah. But beyond that, after we, after we are done highlighting all these great films from all over the world, uh, we'll be breaking down our top 10 overall best films of 2022 right at the end. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that one because it covers the first half and the second half of the year. Okay. Again, keep in mind, only covering movies that are available to us in Singapore um, via VOD streaming, Blu-ray or, or, or theatrical um, in, the, in this calendar year. Yeah. So there will be certain films that are getting a lot of attention right now, like The Fablemans mm. or The Banshees of Inner yeah. or Kate Blanchard Stern and Tar. Mm-hmm. They have not come to Singapore and we have no way of accessing them. They were not in Singapore International Film Festival. They're not available in VOD just yet. Yeah. So if you want uh, reviews of that one, if you, if you wanted us to shout that, that one out, A, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, man. We, we haven't seen them. Yeah. Not because we don't want to, but because we just don't have the availability mm-hmm. to see them. Yeah. Uh, which is why our list is a little bit more limited than some you know, international lists out there. But hey, there's a wealth of great films down here, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're here to talk about them all, particularly four straight-out outstanding <laughs> highlights from the second half of 2022. Uh, they include films from India, yeah. such as RRR, mm-hmm. uh, a film from France called Happening. Um a film from the UK slash Ireland called After Sun, and a film from South Korea called Decision to Leave. Uh, let's begin around South Asia, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's talk about RRR. Uh, straight out of Hollywood, RRR is a bigger-than-life and uh, bolder-than-mainstream action-adventure epic. Yeah, And it has performed mightily, not just in domestic cinemas, but in international cinemas as well, as even American audiences uh, marvel at its spectacle, <laughs> its embrace of supercharged emotion, um, and sway to its uh, propulsive music while being repeatedly gobsmacked by its... unfettered audacity (laughs) um it is it is propelled by telugu cinema's triumvirate of superstars Mm -hmm. anti-rama jr and ram chanran alongside the director ss rajamuli whose uh combined names are just one of the many reasons for the triple consonant title um the movie is such an irresistible and intoxicating celebration of cinematic access (laughs) it's maximalist in all the right way (laughs) That even after the 1187 minutes have passed, mm-hmm. including an intermission, mm-hmm. or as the title card announces, inter-arrival, uh, you are left <laughs> exhilarated, not exhausted. Uh, which, truth to tell, is hard to say yep. about some of the many, uh, many comic book action adventure blockbusters that we've seen this year. Yeah. Um, there have been there have been multiple two hour, three hour plus movies from both the DC EU and the Marvel universes. Mm-hmm. Say your Black Panther Wakanda Forever's, mm-hmm. your The Batmans, which while they have garnered positive reviews here on General Equality, we we had plenty of problems with them, didn't we? Um, yeah I'm gonna say that pacing is not one of the issues here on our. Oh. It's such an uh it's such an adrenaline right that it makes three hours feel like 30 minutes um I saw you've seen R uh over on netflix yeah, right that's right that's right so um i think most of us in singapore watch it over netflix and one of the things that we have to talk about also is we have to clarify that we did not see the original telugu version of rr as oh, most international mm-hmm. audience have not yeah um the telugu version is very difficult to find online mm-hmm. And that's the only way we here in Singapore Have been able to watch the film Sadly, I would have loved to see this on the big screen yeah. um, But uh, we we watched the Hindu dub version of mm-hmm. it um, That's the only one that you could find So this mm-hmm. is the one that we are reviewing mm-hmm. um, So uh, you caught it over in Netflix The Hindu dub, I, I imagine Yes, that's right. um, Could you give us uh, a little synopsis About what RR is about oh, yeah. And what do you think of it when you first watched it?
1: Yeah, so I caught RR. I think uh, here you put me on onto this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you were just telling me like h- how over the top, how kind of ridiculous, and how like memorable it is. And so I caught it um, actually much earlier this second half of the year, uh, almost okay. when like a week since it, it got on on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. So the the thing is, I've been talking about RR to my friends and recommending it to my friends like up till two days ago uh mm-hmm. you know uh that's how kind of like impactful and lasting it is as just like a a piece of cinema that stands out like almost head and shoulders above all the action slash superhero slash comic stuff that we've been getting recently. Mm. Right? It takes all of that, dials it up to eleven, and still manages yep. to beat all of them at what you know uh they 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 uh propose themselves to be, right? Um mm-hmm. so R R is a, a fictional imagining of two real life uh Indian revolutionaries, I believe. Uh yes, very, re-
0: very, the revolutionaries are very real. What happened in this movie is not very real. But yeah, yes, correct. Yeah. Right. So uh yeah. the director
1: basically as he was kind of doing research about these two revolutionaries, uh Chandra and oh I only know the character names. What are the revolutionary names? Uh mm-hmm. let's see. Uh, yeah. So uh, Charan and Ramarau, right?
0: Oh no, it's uh, yep. those are the
1: actors, right? Played by
0: yeah, um, Beam is one of them. Yeah, Beam uh, and, and yeah, um, uh, Raju. um, Raju, right? Yeah. yeah. So
1: uh, he he recognized like a couple of like coincidentalness or like similarities between the two, and even though they never mm. met in real life, he wanted to tell a story about the possible friendship that would ha- they would have and how that would would play out right uh yes. so uh i didn't manage to dig into much of the history of the actual people itself but what we get is oh man a bromance of the ages uh yeah uh, is is the best way to do that right? full of um secrets and uh possible betrayals and mm-hmm. um, turns of um character that uh very hard to describe without actually watching it for yourself. Like it's Absolutely. it's simple in its premise, but it, the way that it plays out is often beyond description or or it's it's hard to oh man. It it really is like difficult without because it's it's packed with so much kind of visual spectacle with outstanding performances by by both uh, uh, leading actors um where they capture um the what if right of uh, two men uh, two men in uh, Indian history who uh, walked similar paths but just never had the ability or
0: um, the reason to to cross paths right absolutely. Um these are two Indian revolutionaries. Who absolutely do not subscribe to uh, Gandhi's philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely do not. They do not. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we did talk about like how this is so refreshing from the from the glut of superhero blockbusters out there, yeah. right? And the two protagonists here are not supposed to be superheroes. No. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, let's be real. We, we are, right? Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, Kumaram Beam, who you who you trying to talk about earlier, yes. was was this real-life revolutionary reader, leader and guerrilla fighter from the Gond tribe uh, during the British Raj, mm-hmm. and Lurie Sitarama Raju, uh, um, kind of renamed as Ram in the film, is similarly inclin- a similarly inclined um, insurgent mm-hmm. who led his under-equipped followers during raids on police stations to acquire firearms. There is no record of these two men ever meeting in real life, but hey, <laughs> when have filmmakers ever allowed facts <laughs> yeah. to get in the way of an exciting story? Yeah. Um, there isn't also any record of them possessing any abilities like Captain America no. or their their cunning and charisma. <laughs> but Rajamuli does not let that bother him either. Yeah. Um, in the nineteen twenties, according to RRR, which also stands for Rice Raw, Revolt, um, when the full title finally makes its uh, appearance on screen, yeah. um, Ram is a fiercely determined firebrand from Andhra Pradesh who goes undercover as a member of the British Army in the hope of arming his village compatriots. Um, early on, he demonstrates his um, mm, full loyalty to the crown yeah. and more or less establishes his superhumanity by single-handedly mm. punching, kicking, and beating and manhandling thousands of rioting protesters yeah. to seize one fucking guy mm-hmm. who tossed the rock at a portrait in a police outpost. Yeah. In most action movies, this sequence would be safely regarded as rousingly over-the-top, probably in the climax. Yeah. In RR, this was the, <laughs> the, the subtlest, the least over-the-top, the, the smallest action sequence that this, uh, that this great movie can cover. This, yeah. was, this was nothing more than a curtain-raiser. Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced to our, our other protagonist in the uh, Adilabad forest, uh, the working-class heroic beam who has a, a mustache for the ages, um, yeah. establishes, oh, himself, yeah. Uh, yeah, establishes his own preternatural, supernatural bona fides while a wolf in order to lead the beast into a trap. Unfortunately, the wolf is taken out of the equation by a tiger who proceeds to chase Beam. <laughs> Fortunately, um, Beam is more than a match for the big cat and even when the trap doesn't quite work, Beam roars back at the tiger. If you are fortunate enough to see RRR in cinemas, which we did not, yeah. as it was meant to be, uh, the next role, you might have heard, will be the cheering of an audience, which is something I really wanted to experience while watching this. Yeah. And the fuse is lit for an explosive meeting of these exceptional men when the British governor, Scott Buxton, uh, played by Ray Stevenson, yeah. uh, actually, and his uh, crueler, than, crueler than cruel uh, wife, uh, Catherine, uh, goes slumming in a garden village. Accompanied of course by a contingent of uh, army officers. Uh Catherine proceeds to abduct a little girl Mali, uh, to amuse and entertain her as a plaything in their palatio Delhi home. Uh, this of course doesn't go well with the village or the mother mm-hmm. who hires um uh a bee, uh uh yeah. sorry, who did they hire? B yeah. uh to to get back their child, uh go into Delhi, get back their child. Uh at, at this point, um you know uh, the the scene of the abduction was so harrowing and brutal you were probably tempted to shout rude things at the screen but don't fear you know beam vows to journey to delhi yep. and, and and with the aid of his uh, of his team yeah. of uh, a sympathetic of locals tries to retrieve mali and it doesn't take long for word of beam's impending arrival to reach the british authorities and it takes even less time <laughs> for ram to to in, in an effort to rise up the ranks in the british military to infiltrate uh them uh, he volunteers to find and arrest the potential troublemaker. Uh, but fate, uh, along with uh, what I can only describe as a shamelessly contrived uh, <laughs> scenario by <laughs> Roger um tosses both men a curve when they see a boy trapped in the Delhi River while, while flaming railroad cars drop into the water around him. Yeah. Uh, both men rush to a conveniently located bridge, ram on horseback, beam on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. and improvise a rescue... Detailed <laughs> in another jaw-dropping action sequence <laughs> uh, that will stun and gobsmack you, and they communicate wordlessly, mm. uh, stage a daring rescue. All these happens, all, all everything I've described happens in the first act of the film, yeah. and then the romance happens mm. in an extended musical sequence. Yes. Which, honestly, I would have I would if if uh, oh, it was a TV show, I would have watched. A, a full one season of that bromance happening, and like yeah. you know, they're they're training in the jungle, they're frolicking in the water, things like that. Every episode could be a different thing of them doing them, uh, going uh, like wingmaning each other. You know, it's will be so good. Um, and it would be unfair to spoil uh to spill more beans or spoil any fun by providing additional plot details yep. or scene descriptions. Uh, just wait. I mean, until you see what Beam does with a truckload of animals. Uh, <laughs> suffice to say. That Beam and Ram develop a deep friendship without either knowing the other's true identity or grand designs, mm-hmm. and they greatly enjoy each other's company until they don't, and then they do again. Uh, there are two splendiferous, spirited song and dance sequences yep. where the guys delight in their bromance, and, and they, <laughs> they, they play like uh, like fever dreams, like, like an action movie remake of Singing in the Rain, <laughs> uh, particularly one of the best choreographed um, dance-offs yeah. i guess is, is the yeah, word yeah, yeah, yeah. uh that, that you ever see on screen uh, oh boy um and and i've only just described basically one third of the film yeah. uh what do you think about all this and how it propels to its second act and then eventually it's it's grand third act which which puts everything else that came before to shame oh man
1: um so so lately i've been i've been recommending this to my friends who play D&D. Uh, mm. and I, I explained it to it this way. Like, if there's a film that captures kind of like the highs and lows and absurdities of playing Dungeons and Dragons, right, uh, at a table that's like really, really fun and enjoyable, it's RR just because it's so over the top, but it never steps into the realm of melodramatic, if that makes sense, right? Mm, uh, and it's um, the 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 twists and turns that the narrative kind of Takes, uh in in particular like between the transitions or uh, between the acts of the movie itself right is mm-hmm. something that on the one hand you're like yeah of course that's gonna happen but again it's all in the execution and the unfolding of of, mm. of uh how they tell it that is is you can't look away right like it's it's uh, much like the the possible train wreck that was happening on screen, right? Like, it it doesn't feel like a train wreck, but you are in it for the ride from the get-go and every scene that appears after that just makes you kind of, like, further invested and immersed in a world that is so much larger than life and even, like, your favorite comic book superhero adaptations can barely hold a candle to. Uh, Mm. It is tender in the moments that it's tender. It's loud in the moments that it's loud. Like it leans in at every turn uh, for that, you know, like their first yep. meeting, like n- no one should be able to hold eye contact across that distance. Right? Mm-hmm, no yep. one should be able to eye contact that distance. Uh, you, you're talking about the incident with the truck, which in and of itself feels like a feat to have to carouse that many animals uh, for that particular feat. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a small scene kind of like in the way, uh, that has to do with a snake and I'm not going to say anything more than that mm, great one yeah, yeah. And, and it's like it, so you have these like huge larger than life like action sets uh, set pieces that are are moving and kinetic and, and absolutely <clears throat> mind-blowing but at the same time there are these really small moments that you kind of like zoom in real deep into uh, the characters themselves uh, their relationship with each other with their Mm. significant others um, as well, you know. And then you have to zoom all the way back out to get, remember, oh, the bigger picture here and and the context that these two men are revolutionaries fighting for freedom for Mm. a a country that they love, but the country that they love feels, it is the same thing, but they love very different facets of that, right? Mm. And it's true all those differences uh, that they find common ground Despite their mm-hmm. methodology, like the difference in their methodology, uh, really, yeah, or philosophy or, 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 philosophy life or, like or that, religion yeah. for that matter, right? Like, how Ooh. they negotiate that, um, while all this other stuff is happening in three hours is kind of a feat, right? Like, it feels completely yeah. yep. earned and not at all stretched, and it's so hard to make something this, um, maximalist uh, uh, and and, and make an audience feel like they walked away getting getting all of that plus Mm. something and and feel completely satisfied it's it's Mm -hmm. mind-blowing how this film makes you feel at the end of it right it's not draining in any way it's not uh, a drag in any way like every one of the three hours and a little uh, Mm -hmm. uh, is well served to you mm-hmm. as an audience, and you feel um, you feel better for it. I guess is the best way to kind of describe it.
0: Yes, uh, you're right. The the film is not a train wreck. Even during the scene with a train wreck yeah. that could have been a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, um, I think I think Rama Rao Junior is effective and. Uh, empathy grabbing Mm. uh, as this he looks like a seemingly ordinary man, right? But he achieves the extraordinary evolving into an iconic hero. Mm -hmm. Um he's great at action, he's great at dancing. He even he's even great at comedy, getting a few laughs. laughs. Um especially during uh Beam's uh stealthy romance with with uh the British girl uh uh, by Olivia Morris Jenny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and better yet, uh better than anything he has sensational chemistry with the more conventionally handsome Ram Charan. Mm. Um, it may be overstating to suggest that Charan carries himself with the authority and assurance <laughs> of a deity, yeah. but I mean, he, I don't think so. I think he does. Um, when he's not physically or emotionally anguished, yeah. uh, Ram Charan feels like a god. And when Ram, uh, quote-unquote, borrows a bow and arrow from the statue of Lord Rama, <laughs> um, it seems less an act of sacrilege. Yeah. Than a simple professional courtesy, one god lending his weapon to another god. Yeah. You know? Um something that struck me during this film was that I think there are a lot of echoes of another quite famous um Asian action filmmaker who wasn't bound by physics or logic and things like that. Mm. Um Rajamuli reminds me a bit of John Woo. Not stylistically, but yeah. in how they approach their things. Um, also in terms of themes of loyalty and betrayal and mutable identity mm. that are kind of recurrently sounded. Uh, and they provide a powerful anchor of seriousness and mortal stakes during the most fantastical fights or flights or feats of uh, daring do mm. And occasionally your mind may tell you, this is absurd. Uh, each time that happens though, like your emotions, your heart will tell you, so what? Yep. Give me more, yep. you know. Um who cares? Um we have described some absolutely ludicrous action set pieces that in and of itself like I said could be the climax of any American action blockbuster. Mm-hmm. But all these serve to set up one of the most I, do, I almost want to spoil it, oh, but man. it it's it's an action sequence where <laughs> where rum um sits on top of beam uh and they execute a prison break yeah. into the forest that is Honestly, it blows everything else from the movie out of the water. Mm-hmm. Like it makes everything else sounds like child's play, and that's insane. The escalation mm-hmm. in this film mm-hmm. absolutely escalates. Yeah. It never fails to not escalate. Um, Rajivoli has recently announced uh R two yes. coming out in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I my my feeble brain does not understand how he can escalate from R one, but let me tell you that I think he can do it because he has proven me o- he has proven it over and over again through every minute of this film that he. Can escalate. He will always escalate. Yeah. The, the sky is the limit for what, uh, for what Ram Beam and muli can do. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's let's do it. Um, let's make this into a Fast and Furious franchise. I want to see 9, <laughs> 10 of these. You know, let's go. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts about
1: RR before we move on? Yeah, I mean, like, I would be more than happy to have such a long running franchise, right? Like, you know, mm. give me, give me the sequels, give me the prequels, give me all of that because I'm here for it. Like. You, we we laugh about comparing it to the Fast and the Furious, just in terms of like the length of time that we wanna see and like kind of the ridiculousness that that they might possibly get up to. But this is so much better in so many yep. ways, right? Like it is oh man, I don't even know. Like you you will feel spoiled by this film. I feel yeah. when it comes to action set pieces, when it comes to this kind of Oh man, camp is not even the right word. I don't even know how to. Mm. Uh, 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 something that's willing to both take itself seriously and not seriously at all at the same time, right? That it has almost like comic book logic back to it, but like clearly it's not drawing from that. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's. Yeah i can't wait uh we will definitely be watching the second one and uh you guys can stay tuned i guess and hopefully you go check our out if you haven't already uh mm-hmm. if you have and you love it go and like tell your friends about it because it's it's an experience to share mm. uh and and um it's one of those experiences that's very hard to talk to other people about without people looking at you in disbelief
0: yeah, yeah. Um, do you want Rum and Beam to fight aliens? Because I do. Yes. Do you want them to time travel and you know fight other uh evil empires from history? Yeah, I mean I do absolutely. do you want to see a primal type movie where they fight <laughs> I, dinosaurs? I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Or on dinosaurs yeah. because I do. Um if they were to announce any of such of these premises, people might laugh and be like, What the fuck? Mm. But I mean Noah, you. Do you really want <laughs> it in your heart? Because I do, also. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean,
0: let's just go. I'm. I'm down for whatever. Give it,
1: Give yeah. this film a shot. Really. Like we aren't. We aren't kidding that any of the premises that he has just listed out is is completely plausible in this universe of our. our mm-hmm. Uh. And our, I'm, yeah, I'm. Absolutely. I'm absolutely
0: sold. Already. Absolutely. Um. It doesn't even have to be time travel. They could be just telling stories about their ancestors, right? Yeah. You know, from. From back in the day, yeah. but 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 still cast the same people. Oh, that I, that would be cool. Yeah, I would I would love to be out with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the future, in the past, yeah. Uh, are was our ours available on Netflix. Uh, the Hindi version I have to clarify is available on Netflix, not the Telugu version, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to something a bit more serious, a bit more grounded. Yeah. Uh, coming out of France is a film called Happening. Um, and in the last few years, there have actually been a considerable amount of films like Happening, mm. centered around the difficulties of getting an abortion. Yeah. Uh, understandably so considering just how fragile the right to choose truly is yeah. as shown in recent events in america mm-hmm. for example where roe versus wade was just recently repealed yeah um for example we have christian mingiu's 2007 film four months three weeks and two days uh that followed two romanian students as they tried to find an illegal abortion mm-hmm. uh meanwhile uh more recently we also Reviewed a great film from 2020 called Never Ready Sometimes Always mm. from Eliza Hittman, that showed the journey of two friends in Pennsylvania going to New York City, in order for the 17 year old Autumn, the star of the film, to get an abortion. Yeah. Uh, while these films focus on the absurd hurdles that I think women have to overcome in their right to choose, many of these films have also given this woman someone, a partner who access their support system mm. uh, and gives them aid in their most dire time of need. Yeah. What makes happening from uh, director Andre Dewan such a difficult and heartbreaking watch in 2022 is how D1, the director, isolates the lead character of Anne, um, a woman in need of an abortion who cannot rely on the help of others. It's this type of solitude and the inherent horror that comes with having to undertake this action without any support That is what makes happening so effective and one of the most essential films made about abortion because not everyone is going to have a support system. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film is set in 1963, France. Uh, Anne is a student who discovers that she's three weeks pregnant and becomes determined to terminate the pregnancy. Uh, She knows that if she is forced to have this child, her education will be over, her own life will become focused around this life that she doesn't want to bring to the world and she will likely resent the child because of it. Uh, As her classmates mentioned, become pregnant would mean that one's life would be over and that's just not an option or an option for Anne who, who wants to become you know, a, a scholar, who wants to study, who wants to do other things. Mm. Yet, despite Anne having close friends at school, she cannot reach out to them for help. They don't know that she's pregnant and when she passingly just very casually mentions abortion, they are taken aback by even the mention of it. Yeah. Um, Anne's only option is an illegal abortion which could send her to jail, mm-hmm. that is quite possibly the best-case scenario. Yeah. The worst-case scenario is that it kills her if she, if she goes to the wrong doctor. Um, D1 almost turns Anne's journey into a claustrophobic horror story where there is nowhere she can run to, nowhere she can find solace, and with uh, basically a ticking time bomb, a, a clock ticking down before her options become even more limited. Um, and this story is almost hauntingly quiet. Yet the terror that Anne is going through comes true in the actress's amazing performance. Uh, her eyes show the fear and uncertainty that is under her calm, and and she's she's calm and collected on the surface, but you can you can just see the fear underneath her. Mm-hmm. Knowing that if she shows the true feelings, it could put her life in danger. It could put her freedom in danger. Um, actress Valtulame is is. Tremendous here, as is she is in every scene. Mm. And we can see how the oppressive nature of the world and society around her is suffocating her in the future. That lack of a choice, and even the inability to open up and share the fears she has and accept and come and accept comfort from those closest to her. She's unable to do this. It makes this grim reality uh feels closer and more isolating than we like to consider. This is what makes it more a bit more harrowing than something like uh four months three weeks and two days mm. or never ready. sometimes always yeah. uh what about you isa you've only recently uh caught the french film happening yeah what do you think about it
1: um the happening
0: is a tough watch mm.
1: it it really is a tough watch i mean like you you talked about it like being suffocating like the cinematography work is 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 impeccable uh it's yep. tight it is suffocating it's <clears throat> And all of that to highlight an amazing performance by our lead actress, uh, mm. and
0: all,
1: right? Like it is unflinching in its examination of of Anne's plight, right? And the way and and you can't in in such a very different way from Arda, you can't look away, right? Mm. Because it mm. feels it feels both wrong to look away, but difficult to watch at the same time. Mm. Um, the sense of isolation is not just a narrative reality it is also a visual and oral um, uh, feeling that you get right and it's incredibly visceral right just because of the way that the sound design is done just because the way uh, the cinematography is shot even the way that you know they decide to light everything right with very okay like the lighting is always almost ambient with only like like light beams coming through and that repeats itself in across so many scenes um yeah, all of those things have the the feeling of an encroaching doom almost right mm. uh, that 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 just hangs very heavily around all the way to the point that Anne's make makes her decision right uh, and yep. and it is you're stuck in your seat for that right like you don't want Mm. to look away you don't want to you 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 don't want to leave you don't want to stop because um you are immediately drawn into her world and how she Mm. feels and like on top of the spectacular performance on top of a a very concise storytelling style Right, like yep. with all those things yep. in the mix itself, it's it's hard to look away, even though it's so devastatingly, and heart-renderingly, um, mm-hmm. uh, such a heart-rendering, like emotional journey, you know. Mm. But it does finally and eventually provide you with the emotional release that you are so desperately looking for, in the way that everything unfolds in the end, right? And like, mm-hmm. oh, man. Um, it is a. I. I. Um. Not only is it a vastly different film from um some of the other abortion films that we've talked about, uh, because yep. of the isolation, because like our our protagonist here, uh, in the form of Anne, is alone, right? The its thematic treatment of it is far more terse in mm. its allowances for levity and hope. Mm. right uh and and um, just the way that they examine it there and just how um relentless and harrowing it feels at almost any given moment uh really heightens your mm. participation in as an audience in the film you know mm. yeah. so yes, it's, yes. it's a very oh man it's a very it's a film that you sit in uh if that makes sense. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. It it almost it's almost like you're you're sitting in in you know water that's beginning to boil and that's what it feels like. And mm. oh my god, yeah. Uh, would I watch it again? Probably not voluntarily because it's a lot mm. to kind of get through. I needed some time. I only watched this uh, very recently. I needed a couple of days after mm. that just to like process. I guess. Um. It mm. is. It is thick with with all the conflicting emotions that one would feel and that comes across very clearly throughout the film. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, definitely. Um, I think Andre D. One, the director, uh, does a great job of balancing Anne's lack of choice Mm -hmm. with a man in her life who make choices for her. Choices that take away her her autonomy Mm -hmm. and choices that actively harm her. Um, Like, for example, when a close friend Not uh, not a stranger. A friend discovers that she's pregnant. He tries to have sex with her since the worst possible outcome has already happened. Uh, Dewan also shows that Anne's various doctor visits, uh, shows this through her various doctor visits about how there are choices about Anne's body uh, and and takes the the choices out of her own control. If anything, these doctors have harmed her. Mm. Worse than if she hadn't gone at all. They state that Anne is left... uh, left with no choice or you have no choice. Um, This all may come off as heavy-handed except that d One manages to make these moments work. Uh, And eerie examples of the times that uh, I think various random men have power over her body that she does does not. Mm -hmm. Um, The world around Anne is full of options and opportunities just just not ones that she can be a part of thanks to that lack of choice. Um, Through Anne's story, I think d One is also exploring the absurdity of sexual inequality mm-hmm. uh, not just in the 1960s but in modern times as well I think yeah. they fear that finding the wrong men could ultimately lead, ultimately lead to a choice that would as, as previously mentioned ruin their lives whereas I think men are more allowed to be free of their sexual appetites yeah. and, and without having the freedom with one's own body there can never be true equality always leaving one side shame for their choices mm-hmm. while the other side gets to have fun without the repercussions pain or ruined uh, lives that uh, the other side has to face you know um unfortunately i think un- un- happening comes at a time when it feels even more important and necessary than ever to uh to talk about what's what's happening and happening for like for um and and d1 has made a much needed film yeah uh that is quite essential mm-hmm. for 2022 um showing that this is a choice that no uh, that this is a, a predicament that no person should have to face alone uh, and it's it's such a difficult one to handle. Um, D1's reflective and quiet tone only highlights the dread of the situation and shows that restriction and taboos about such issues only makes this world a more cruel and terrifying place for people like Anne. Um, with happening, I think D1 has crafted quite possibly the best horror story yeah. of 2022 or the best horror film of 2022. Uh, only because this is such a haunting and very real possibility for billions of people out there. Yeah. Not only is this a film, but the movie is all actually based on Offer Any Ernus' uh, autobiographical semi-autobiographical novel, um, a memoir of sorts. Hmm. Uh, so this, the character of Anne is Any the Um She has taken her own real life experiences and translated it into a, a semi-autobiographical story. Hmm. Um, And it just goes to show how true Something like this can be Uh, And D1, I think, expresses the realism of it By not indulging in melodrama She takes a measured and minimalist approach To the story And immerses the audience in Anne's perspective Mm -hmm. Much like how Never Really Sometimes Always did as well Uh, And you're able to perceive her predicament In an almost mundane, practical way Like Anne thinks of her situation in a on a very practical level, it's a personal thing, but it's a practical thing as well. You know, um, all her life she's been praised by her parents and her professors for being driven. Mm-hmm. Why is her choice in this any different? Yeah. Why is her greatest asset becoming becoming to feel like a flaw? Mm. Um, that's a good way to approach this film. Um, and some of the scenes in here are, are way more horrific than I've seen in in any actual horror film. So, yeah. I mean got to give it up to uh, Andre D1 um, and, and of course the author of the book Annie Ernu as well uh, for mm. crafting such a uh, such a powerful tale uh, any last thoughts about uh, happening before we move on
1: um, yeah if you guys want to see something powerful mm. um, and painful uh, and unflinching in its its very real and very visceral message um, mm-hmm. I mean both his and I have said that it's a tough watch right it it really is um uh, but it's worth uh the time mm. and emotional investment uh, that you give yep. the film
0: yep definitely um next up we move on from France to the UK mm. uh to talk about After Sun um a sparkling debut by a filmmaker that ponders about um a father daughter relationship mm-hmm. and the mutable essence of memory uh this is Writer-director Charlotte Wells' affecting debut film. Mm -hmm. And After Sun plays out like a bit of a a minor miracle in opinion because I think the way it's written, the way it's structured, the way it's filmed probably should not have worked, but it does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The film is about fathers and daughters. It's about a daughter trying to understand her father from the distance of years. But it's also about memory and the way we remember events and how that deepens and changes through our lives. Uh, It stars Paul Masco, who plays uh, the 31-year-old Callum, who has taken his 11-year-old daughter, Sophie, uh, played by Frankie Correo, on vacation to a resort in Turkey. Um, Sophie is in the sweet spot between little girl and adolescent. And with her father, she's often still the little girl. But there is a group of teens at a resort that she's staying in, that she's drawn to. Mm. Um, She and a boy, about the same age, circle around each other. Meanwhile, uh, Calum is boyish and playful. There's an easy affection between the dad and the daughter. Yeah. Uh, he's not heavy-handed, but he is protective and emotionally attuned to her. It's clear that he loves her fiercely mm-hmm. and wants to open the world to her to give her experiences. But there's more going on. Uh, and this is a talent of Paul Mascal that we've talked about before in yeah. normal in Normal People. Mm-hmm. His ability to kind of express... Undercurrents of struggle, of depression, of mental health issues through like micro-expressions. Mm. Um, and Sophie is only able to see that sparingly. He's she she sees that he's struggling financially and she sees that she's struggling emotionally, but she doesn't see how much. Yeah. Callum uh, or Paul Maskell as Callum is great at portraying the hidden undercurrents of turmoil underneath everything, and not only that, we're seeing all of this 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 Turkish vacation. We're seeing all this through the lens of memory, mm-hmm. the lens of an adult daughter, Sophie, uh, of, of the adult Sophie, yeah. who is reflecting on her father about the vacation and the precious time that they had together, trying to get a handle on who her father was at this point in, in her in his life. But it's more complicated. The memories are hers, but from when she was a child and now as an adult about the same age as he was on vacation... Mm-hmm. She's looking at the time again, trying to get a more complete understanding of him. Yeah. Um, we often as children do not come to the realization that our parents are also people. Mm. We only get to the realization when we get to the age when they had us. Like, how would we feel? How did he feel at that time? We finally understand them as true people. Mm-hmm. And Wells gives us the story of the vacation and Sophie's memories in an almost abstract way. I think one of the little miracles I was talking about is that there isn't a conventional narrative here. No. Instead, it comes of us. It comes at us in snippets, in vignettes, bits and pieces of what Sophie remembers from the vacation. There are short scenes, images, Polaroid pictures, some camcorder footage, slightly faded, slightly blurred. The film structure is meant to mimic the way that we remember things. Yeah. We don't fully remember events as if they were on film. Odd things stick with us, and on top of that, we are seeing what we are seeing are Sophie's impressions as an eleven-year-old things that aren't necessarily understood by a child. I think the business of making a film without a conventional narrative is difficult. Mm-hmm. So how does this all knit together so beautifully? Uh, that's the miraculous thing about what Wells has done with Aftersun. It's so thoughtfully put together. Yeah. Um, do you share the same sentiments as me, Isaac? Oh, man. Uh, okay, let's go one-on-one. Uh, first, yep.
1: first off, right, uh, the performances here, right? Yeah, we already yeah. know how good Paul Mescal is. We've talked about it before, right? And it's exactly that. It's the micro-expression of all of that. But to have Paul Mescal and, and the, his, his very obvious acting really matched by Frankie Corio mm, is the doctor, yeah. kind of mind-blowing, right? Mm. Like, it is incredibly difficult, I think, to uh, play a child um, that is like Sophie, right? Who is bright, and bright-eyed and perceptive at the same time. And at no point in time is that like, you know, uh, is that is that told to us. It's, it's always shown, you know. Well, little mm. glances, the way she observes, a lingering moment of uh, observation uh, and all of those things. Uh, this is one of the most uh, nuanced, subtle performances that I've seen in a while from, from a leading pair. Right. Uh, yeah. And in that, in the richness of that performance is where you mm-hmm. unpick the relationship and unpack the dynamic between these, this, what seemingly seems like a very tender and affectionate father daughter relationship, but it kind of means so much more, right? And mm. because of the way that it is told, right, uh, from, from older so Sophie's point of view, we, uh, together with older Sophie uh, are part of that unpacking process uh, coupled with the the film's desire for its sound design and for its cinematography to mimic the emotional um, the emotion, not triggers necessarily but the emotional analog of <clears throat> memory recalling uh, mm-hmm. is is um, it makes for such a magical uh um uh, piece of film. Right? Like yes, that's like the simplest way I can describe uh watching this is that it feels magical. Uh and uh I think that clearly shows uh later on when we rank all the films for the year.
0: Uh mm, this sure, is sure.
1: a special film. Mm. Right? Like everything we're talking about, like all great films, but After Sun is special and mm. uh it is It is astounding that this is the director's debut feature right Uh, yeah yeah it's it's yeah really really um it's tender and heartbreaking and relatable and universal in such a small way right like its Mm -hmm. focus is so uh its timeline is so narrow. It only takes place like during this holiday itself and the eventual kind of like Sophie's reflection on that. Uh Mm. it it's its focus is very it's laser focused on a particular part of life and a particular relationship and yet the meaning and Mm. the process of unpacking that uh with uh with older Sophie feels so careful and detailed and tender. Uh, but is tinged with this melancholy that feels at once familiar and immediate right mm. uh, and all mm. of that to evoke that that level of of uh, familiarity and of feeling is something that like it's hard to do in a film that doesn't have a conventional kind of like narrative structure right uh, yep. it's a bold move it's risky but every one of those decisions pays off in the right way uh, for this film. Like, you walk away from this feeling as though you know, like, um, Callum and Sophie feel like family friends. Like, people you've known all yep. your life. And this is just yep. like a week in their life that we are partaking of, you know? Mm. Uh, and it's, it's crazy to be able to do that, right, in a film that yep. is, is like an hour and 40 minutes long or something like that. Uh, mind blowing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely mind blowing.
0: I've often referred to filmmakers using non linearity, like, say, Christopher Nolan, as sort of a gimmick, a mm. uh, structural quirk that uh, enhances their film. Yeah. Um, this non linear structure is n- not a gimmick. It's no. done very perso- purposefully to tell a very personal story about memory. Yeah. Um, and the, the film resists so much of what we usually see in a conventional film. Mm-hmm. There are no backstories, there are no explanations. There aren't even full scenes, and yet there isn't an absence of coherence or emotion in the film. It moves along gingerly, but the characters, the emotions, that sense of love quietly weaves us in and carries us through the movie. Um, A big part of the success, as you mentioned, is the leads of the film, whose whose challenge was to create full characters that we could hold on to, and that who we wanted to follow, even though we are watching them in small bites. Mm -hmm. The performances must both be casual, and yet give us insight into the characters, and both Corio and in her first role as young Sophie and and Mascot as Callum breathe complexity into these characters without being explicit Mm -hmm. and by leaving details up to us to intuit. Really, this film leaves us a lot to intuit. Wells has given us a movie that has a tonal delicacy yet a deep emotional core. Mm. It's a beautiful debut film. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I think something like this could only come from a first-time filmmaker. The audacity of it, the... (laughs) Because you know she's not had the feedback. she's not had studio notes. She's not uh, this is just a very personal thing she wanted to do. yeah and and she employs all the filmography tricks to do it. And stuff that should not work works here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's done so well. Um, cannot say enough about uh, Paul Maskell once again. you know yes. the way that he's able to be so subtle and abstract. You know the the their the scenes. You know when he's like sneaking a cigarette on the hotel balcony, <laughs> yeah. or an ill-advised nighttime swim, mm. or in a poignant little sequence lying down on a carpet at a rug merchant's <laughs> storeroom. Yeah. Um. And he seems to be straining under this cosmic weight, and needing for a brief moment a kind of existential rest. Mm. And he does it without overacting at all. Yeah. It's all so micro and. Man, Paul Masco is amazing. Yeah. Like, I've not seen him in too many things, mm-hmm. but everything I've seen him in, he's just amazing. Mm. Um, and, and the girl who plays Sophie is is great at that too. Yeah. But uh, these certain scenes, like, you know, Sophie being attracted to this boy, or wanting to hang out with other kids, mm-hmm. that really feel relatable to me because when we are kids, we are so caught up in our own things yeah. that we don't necessarily understand our... Our parents' dilemma mm. uh, I'm uh, Yeah So I mean That's great too And the way that the film Is able to I don't know Imply That yeah. Callum is dead Or that Callum Has taken his own life uh, Without ever seeing it Yeah yeah. Um, but you are left With that impression mm-hmm. I don't know how Wells does it But The impression is there yeah. And it, it's wonderful how, how it was written And filmed mm-hmm. um, Yeah Any last thoughts About happening Before we move on uh,
1: I think this is a must watch right like absolutely it's on our list because it's it's things that we're recommending but after sun feels almost almost life-changing right uh Mm. in terms of like films you get special films that come out once in a while that not just uh evoke feelings in you not just like beautiful not just have like moments but like change uh uh a very important perspective in your life and that for me this year is after sun like hands down mm-hmm. right like i have been re-examining my own personal relationship with my memories of my loved ones after mm-hmm. watching this and uh uh and i haven't stopped since you know like it, its impact is felt way longer than when the credits run and yeah like all good art that that's the way it should be right um and yeah yep yeah easily easily after sun is is I have to say um if anything we've said interests you um please mm-hmm. please go watch this uh, I promise you won't regret it
0: definitely uh next up we're moving to South Korea to talk about <laughs> Decision to Leave yeah the latest film from Park Chan Wook uh if you've not heard of Park chon Wook you must be living under a cave um. <laughs> He's the guy who did Old Boy, my friend. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who did The Handmaiden, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, is a better version of Parasite. Um, this is one of the greatest uh, directors that have come out of South Korea, and that is saying something. Yeah. Uh, this is Park Chon-wook's latest film after a brief hiatus. And can I just say, nobody does uh, convoluted <laughs> storytelling like Park Chon-wook, oh you God. know? It's like um, Theseus himself will have given up watching, uh, trying to write something like Old Boy or, yeah. or The Handmaiden, you know. Yeah. Um, he crafts these immaculately intricate labyrinths and pauses very occasionally uh, to make sure that the laggards in the audience can keep up. <laughs> uh, the process should be maddening, but instead, as his new film proves, it's almost magical how his trail of elegance and glinting clues leads us out into the light again. Um, and after, like I mentioned, the world-conquering success of films like Parasite or... or small screen, uh, TV shows like Squid Game, uh, Park Chan-wook's decision to leave has become the South Korean hit of twenty twenty two. Um, on its deceptively clean surface, uh, decision to leave is a story of a detective, uh, a very quite typical neo noir detective you might find in a nineteen fifties film, uh, who falls obsessively in love with a suspect, mm-hmm. uh, but that is a bit of a unfair summary. Yeah. Um this is this is Puck's first film since The Handmaiden and the devil is in the details mm. and there are dizzying amounts of them. The the South Korean director works at the top of his game once again and drops tantalizing clues that are best analyzed, I think, in multiple viewings, <laughs> which uh it can be reported from firsthand experience, will be very helpful if you watch this more than once. Yeah. Um his non-stop visual inventiveness stresses the longing that detective Hei Jun uh played by Park Heo, uh here taking his place amongst the great film noir detectives mm-hmm. uh, Or at least well. The seps <laughs> uh, The film noir detective seps Of which there are plenty Yes uh, He feels for Possible black widow Siore uh, Who is uh, Played by Tang Wei From Last Caution You may remember mm-hmm. um, They show a simmering chemistry In this poignant And near inscrutable Love story Where The more He Jun Learns about Siore The more mysterious She becomes Which has the viewer Constantly questioning What they see and hear whether Surya murdered not one but two husbands mm-hmm. is beside the point. While Park feels in, a, well, I think in a way, the, if this film feels both timeless and modern because it feels like it could be you know like like I mentioned one of those nineteen fifties yeah. uh neo- noir films, mm-hmm. um and he uses her possible crimes to tell a story that is coolly restrained yet kind of internally roiling with suppressed desire. I haven't seen a film do suppressed desire this well in a, in a long time. Yeah. And, and coolly restrained is usually not a phrase I would use to describe Park Chan-wook's work. Yeah. Uh, but here it is. Um, it doesn't have the gonzo violence of old boy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the eroticism of the handmaiden. Mm-hmm. And he replaces them with profoundly felt emotions that remain forever unexpressed through Shifting visual points of view that keep us Off balance um, This is all really really great um, I, Actually I didn't even describe the premise oh, The premise is Hei Jun is the detective yes. He is investigating uh, uh, The the possible murder of a man's body uh, Who is found <laughs> at, at the base of a nearby mountain His prime suspect is the man's wife uh, a, a Chinese national Who moved to Korea recently He falls in love with her um, And that is the beginning of the story That's the the summary of it, but it's so much more. Uh you've only recently seen the uh, decision to leave, right? You didn't yeah. watch it in cinemas. No, I not uh, so what? What? What do you think about this? Uh I had to watch this
1: twice. Uh, yep. I'm gonna say that the first time I watched it, I was deeply confused about certain things and very frustrated. Uh, mm, at the point yep. in time when I was like, "Oh my god, are we going through this again?" Uh, mm. Yeah. So I'm not gonna spoil anything, but there is a moment in time where I I went through all of that right uh, but after I was done with my first view, I was like mm, no something doesn't feel quite well right. I feel like I'm missing a lot of details for this film to make sense as a as a mm-hmm. work right so I went back and watched it again and on second viewing I, I totally agree with you this requires more than one viewing Uh, there are mm-hmm. things that will be revealed to you that your mind needs time to process and only picks up the second time around. Uh, yep. yeah uh, it is so full of details Mm. uh, that it is overwhelming when you start to recognize them, right? Uh, But at the same time, amidst the sea of these details, right? A very uh, nuanced uh, performance of of, um, suppressed desire, of Mm. kind of like your shifting... Uh, shifting the lines of what your identity is and what you attach your identity to, uh, mm. in a very convoluted, very strained, difficult romance. I guess
0: it is a romance. It is yeah. a romance, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, but but it 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 never feels like the word romance doesn't necessarily come to mind while you're watching it. Right. Yes, uh, yes. And and, and uh, I, I think that is a lot more true to life than, than a lot of us care to admit. Um, mm. But yeah, man. Uh, Decision to leave is is challenging. Uh, yeah. To watch, right? I think like what struck me first is that like Old Boy and Handmaiden had very different cinematography styles, mm. right? Uh, but Decision to Leave's very odd choices. Will stand mm. out to you, and it's only on second watch that you kind of make sense why it works and why it mm. makes you feel uncomfortable, and why that. Why seems, he made the choice. Yeah, why yeah. he made the choice. Why it makes you feel yeah. uncomfortable, and why that choice makes complete sense in yep. that particular moment as you are watching it. Um, mm. It is, it's it's it feels like so much more than just a puzzle to unpack, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 there were times, especially on on second watch, that. It flitters between like a mood board, uh, mm. to kind of like a tonal piece, but at the same time, your mind is working on a totally different level from how you're feeling, right? Your mind is trying to unpack everything at the same time. So this is yep. this is to leave is a is a ride. Um, mm. It's a ride. Uh, I, I, I think this this was the one that I watched the most recently, uh, just last week,
0: uh, mm.
1: and. Um, I don't know if I've quite processed all of that. Like I'm not sure how I feel Same. about the ending. You know, yep. uh, after two watches I still don't know how to feel about the ending. Right? It's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. It's just that yep. I th- th- haven't made up my mind whether I like it or mm. not. Is it even important if I like it or not? Right? Um yeah. it's it's it, it posits it posits an interesting question that you have to uncover for yourself what that question is and never gives you answers and I think Mm. that to me is what I've realized over the week of kind of like mulling over this that's where the frustration of watching this film comes from right but again like so many of the films that we've talked about uh, for the second half of the year like that in and of itself is a powerful uh, Mm. um, um, powerful part of art right Um, yep yeah and I think like where um, you know uh, eventually as we discuss the films for the year and where that kind of ranks for me personally will reflect the fact that I don't think I've had enough time with this film, or maybe I need to watch it one more time—I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to give it some breathing space before I explore that. Um, just Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, there are parts of this film that I, I, I question. There are parts of it that I mm. love. There are parts of it that that still make me feel uncomfortable, right? Uh, and it's an, a whole bunch of things at the same time in in looking at a very odd pairing mm. that share an understanding while not understanding each other at all yep yeah and and uh within that kind of like small uh cosmos or microcosm of like the human condition right when it comes to love uh it is everything in within the film but barely scratches the surface you know uh, yep. yeah yeah this Definitely. is yeah um, this is really something like <laughs>
0: decision to leave you're right is actually essentially a love story mm-hmm. and it's also a deeply sexy one mm. despite there being not a single sex scene mm. um, in fact Hyojun and Siori barely so much as touch each other Yeah, there's one moment where they rifle through each other's pockets or they <laughs> apply lotion on their careless hands yeah. uh, instead they their soulmate style bond uh complicate is complicated naturally when C O alibi turns out to um not be as solid as it first appeared. Yeah. Um, and it is evoked by two actors' uh innately believable natural chemistry mm-hmm. and the cho- choreography of certain scenes whereby their gestures and movements sync up. Uh you know it's almost as if that their bodies have always known each other despite mm. them not even touching each other. Yeah. This harmony continues throughout through even a change of location. Uh, the action in the second half of the movie uh, moves to Ipoh. I won't reveal why. <laughs> but there is a change of hairstyle and a change of husband for Sio Rey. Mm. Um, And that chemistry is is present from their first row conversation in a police interrogation room when after a very expensive high-end sushi lunch, oh uh, much to uh, the detective's partner's annoyance, yeah. um, they wordlessly clean up the table with the practice efficiency of a long married couple. It's almost as if they've done this before. Yep. And it's far from the only time that the staging of a scene is more loaded with meaning mm-hmm. than the words spoken. Mm. I think that's uh, that scene is kind of the microcosm of what decision to leave is. Yes, absolutely. Like so much is 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 said through staging than actual written dialogue, yeah. and I think that's that's great too, He he, uh, the director Park Chan Wook finds heights of expressivity without being show offy. Mm. This is a complex and challenging form. Yep. Um, and perhaps not for everyone, mm-hmm. but I would say give this one a, a shot, especially if you're a Park Tron fan, yep. because it retains his quite trademark convolutedness. Yeah. But whereas his previous films have been, shall we say, plot driven?
1: Uh, e- um mm, yes. mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, where you know the it's it's essentially story driven, like old boy is, the handmaiden is, yep. because of all the twists and turns. Mm-hmm. This one has has similar plot-driven sensibilities, but it is mostly actually character-driven. Yeah, And I haven't really quite seen Park Chon-wook favor the characterness of the script over the plotness of the script. Yeah. And that makes it interesting to me. Um, is it as fun of a murder mystery as <laughs> Glass Onion is? No. Uh, Glass Onion may be, pound for pound, the most fun murder mystery you've ever seen in your life. But mm-hmm. this one is the most... Artistic, murder mystery you will ever see. Yeah. Uh, and it's great too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Any final thoughts before we move on to our top ten overall?
1: Yeah. Um, if you watched Decision to Leave, highly recommend you mm. tr-
0: give it another shot. Uh, yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, this was a conversation I just had this morning while, we, while I was discussing a film with a friend who didn't didn't quite like it. Um, mm. like they they were. They were felt frustrated and they they felt a little turned off about the the film itself, right? And I was just sharing like uh, I felt the same way, and I had to watch it a second time, and I sort of changed my mind, I think. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a good indication that like you know if I ever finally kind of unpack what this actually is, uh, that there's something a lot deeper than my initial just kind of like um, first run through.
0: So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. okay. Um, now we're moving on to our top 10 films mm-hmm. of 2022 overall. Yeah. Uh, let's begin with you, so What's your number 10?
1: My number 10 is the recently available on Netflix, uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio.
0: Yep. Yes. Um... um, This will actually come up higher in my list, so mm-hmm. I guess we'll discuss it then briefly. Yeah. But we don't. We won't discuss this too much because there's actually a full review coming out on the next episode of General Equality, mm-hmm. so I exactly. yep. uh, will wait for that. Uh, my number 10 is one of two Iranian films on my list. Mm -hmm. This one is called No Bears. It's uh, written and directed by Jafar Panahi. Mm -hmm. Um, It follows, uh, much like all his films, the lead character is a director named Jafar Panahi. (laughs) Um, This fictionalized version of Jafar Panahi has moved to a rural village to remotely oversee filming uh, of his latest film in in, in a nearby town over the border. Um, In this uh, film... uh, I'm not talking about the film Woman film. I'm talking about the film, yeah. uh, No Bears. Uh, parallel stories unfold across the situations as desires, uh, those between partners for a future or to craft art are suppressed by larger forces of social and political authority. Uh, while naturalistic in style, No Bears blurs the bounds of documentary and fiction, deftly playing and eluding narrative anticipation. Um, its framing is shaped by the conditions of the Iranian state repression that Benahi and other filmmakers face. This reality of his intertwines with the worlds of other characters uh, that that he is viewing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it throws loyalties and hierarchies and truths into questions amid contentions of criminality and liberty. Um, this is a great film about a filmmaker who is essentially running from the law, who is about to be imprisoned by Iranian's cultural or morality police. Uh looking to make one last film uh in 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 a rural town near a border does he want to run does he just want to make a last piece of art this film is made even more poignant because the director Jafar Panahi himself after making this film also in a rural town near the turkish border was arrested in iran oh. he is in real life in prison right now as are many actors and directors in in iran as well mm-hmm. um so this Lends the film an extra level of authenticity. The fact that Jafar Panahi, the fictional version, and Jafar Panahi, the real version, face the same second census. Uh, the fictional version of Jafar Panahi is able to drive home safely here. Mm-hmm. The real version was not. Um, and yeah, that that that, that lends it uh, an added layer like of authenticity that that made no bears so powerful. Uh which is why I put this at number ten. On my list, uh, what is your number nine, Isa?
1: My number nine, and we just talked about this earlier in the episode, is RRR. Um, for the main reason yes. is like, uh, its very existence means you can't ignore it, right? It's that kind of yep. film, and I'm still talking about it like many months later and telling people you need to watch this. Um, mm-hmm. just just because like I want you to share in this very strange, specific, uh, experience of having watched the RRR and trying to explain that to people who haven't.
0: Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. Um, your number nine is. Um, oh, Uh My number nine yes. is Pinocchio, mm. which was your number 10. Yep. Um, two major Pinocchio films came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I reviewed Disney's live action remake yeah. of the classic cartoon. Yeah. It was feeble. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giorgio Tomo's heart rendering version, instead, was a revelation. Uh, he sets his stop motion masterpiece in Fascist Italy complete with a cameo appearance by Mussolini, and fills it with death and darkness, it almost feels like a spiritual sequel or a spiritual cousin yep. to The Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. But it all, it's also a rollicking delight with rousing songs and gorgeous stop-motion animation and an endearingly pompous cricket voiced by Ewan McGregor. Uh, Guillermo del Toro sprinkles his signature dark whimsy on a fairytale classic that's filled with heart, humour And this time, historical grounding. Mm. I think it's a phenomenal feat of animated cinema. What about you? Oh man,
1: Uh, I love, I love, I love, love, love the fact that he decided to ground the fairy tale, right in in a real world setting, and is is uh, and ask the logical questions surrounding what the fairy tale would be, right? Like we, Mm. the Disney version follows that beat for beat, right? Like the one that we all remember, the animation one um, from back in the day. Uh, and and they just tried to like recreate that by live action, right? Um, yep. The author of reimagining of this tale, because it is grounded in a time and place that we can pinpoint to, uh, has <clears throat> the ability to also logically ask the questions mm. that would naturally uh, occur if a fairy tale happened in like our reality, like in real life, mm. right? Like, what would happen if a wooden boy came to life in a town that? Is uh, you know is going to be uh, Catholic in nature or Christian in nature, right? Like how would the villagers respond? How would it Mm. seem to you know uh, the the local priests and all of that? Like all of those questions suddenly come to light, and they are raised in such a natural way, and also dealt with in a logical way as well. I mean, most of the time, anyway, the story still needs to move forward, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and and every time that happens I I I smile a bit wider mm. right just because yep. like it's full of whimsy it's full of fancy it loses none of that but there is a maturity to Del Toro's version that the Disney version uh, all or new does not have mm. right absolutely uh, yep. and like I cannot imagine the amount of work that went into the stop motion it is detailed and smooth. Uh, there is nothing in the medium they have chosen to use for the animation that has prevented them from exploring anything they want, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's the dance sequences, whether it's the action set pieces, whatever it is, like the, it, it's such great attention to detail and dedication to that particular form of storytelling that is, as many of us know, incredibly time-consuming and hard to do right Uh, there's there's an artistry and craftsmanship to that that you continually see throughout the entire movie that is it's a marvel right Mm. it felt a lot like watching um, oh no what's the what's the uh, remake not the remake the uh, prequel to uh, Jim Henson uh, Uh, the Dark Crystal yeah Dark Crystal right like it had that same effect it evoked the same feeling of like wow really like how right like and it's so easy to like oh your mind would just tell you because we're so used to it. oh yeah it's just all digital right uh but Mm. but not all of it is right and and there is a there is a human touch to it that is uh very distinct uh distinct and very recognizable that you are you you feel the organicness of it right uh, mm. that just adds to it adds a very meta layer to a story about an inorganic boy wanting to be an organic boy well no wood is organic yeah you yes. get what i mean right like it's, essentially yeah, yeah. it essentially speaks to the materiality of of uh of the story as well as the medium that they've chosen to tell it in yeah so Definitely. i loved it i loved it like it it felt like a fairy tale retelling of one of my favorite stories told specifically for me as a grown adult
0: and mm. I love it because of that. Agreed. Um, your number eight is uh, also a film that I really, really liked. It barely missed out on my top ten. Oh, nice. Uh, what is your number eight, said
1: My number eight is Parallel Mothers. Uh, we had a yep. very in-depth discussion of this particular film in our whole mm-hmm. episode focused on Pedro Amaldova. Uh, yes, Parallel correct. Mothers is his most recent film, I believe. Uh, unless yep. he's, he's released something uh, since then. Um, He's released a short film, but this is the most recent feature film, I guess. Yeah, so *Parallel Mothers* is a story that's set um, yep. in in kind of like the af- uh, long aftermath of Spain's Civil War, uh, mm. and um, once again featuring uh, his his constant and uh, eternal muse, Penelope Cruz. Uh, mm-hmm. um, she plays a mom, a new mom caught in uh, a case of mistaken identity in the maternity ward. Uh yep. like parallel mothers um focuses on kind of like general uh, generational divides, uh mm. focuses on like uh the, the language of mothers uh, from one to another, uh single mothers specifically. Um it it is uh it is an exploration of uh, motherly love and the challenges that comes with it, uh set against not a backdrop, set against a scene of mm. what, uh, you know, Amaldova's classic almost like novella, over the top yep. uh, a melodramatic yeah. style, right? And it yep. was one of like one of the most m- memorable uh, pieces of film for me this year. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I loved it. Uh, you want to hear more about it and us uh, to kind of dive really deep into parale- both Parallel Mothers and director Pedro Amaldova? Uh, please go ahead and yeah. check out our whole episode for that.
0: Definitely. Um, My number eight is Decision to Leave, mm. which, we, which we just reviewed. Uh, so, you know, you can scroll back and listen to our review of that one. Yep. Uh, uh, your number seven is probably my favorite documentary yep. of uh, 2022. Mm. Um, If I were to make a list of the best documentaries or non-fiction films yep. of 2022, Fire of Love would be my number one. Yep. But this comes in at number seven on your overall top ten list. Why do you love fire of love
1: yeah i think this year for me like picking the top 10 had to do with a lot of the longevity of it in in my mind right like how often mm. do i think about this film uh after having watched it you know or after how long i have watched it so we caught fire of love uh, much earlier in the year i believe uh, and it was like your second time going in or your third time going to watch yep, this my second time going uh, your second time yeah. going to watch this it was my first time going to watch this uh, you were raving about it when you came out the premise itself had already drawn me to the film I just did not have a chance until after you had watched it yourself so, um, mm. just this it is it is a stunning visual spectacle coupled with a real life love story that is moving and sad at the same time Right. Uh, we follow, yep. volcanology, uh, volcano, la, 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 la. Volcanologists, volcanologists. Uh, yep. and Maurice Craft. Uh, and um, how they're basically their dedication to uh flying around the planet and chasing volcanic eruptions. Uh, before it mm-hmm. finally kind of uh, uh, took them. Yeah, their passion yep. took them in uh, an, an eruption in uh, 1991 in Japan. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tragically, it yep. is kind of insane. And like we we talked extensively about this after watching the film together, that mm. it's insane that they, in a different life, they would have been a filmmaker and a photographer because the the footage that they left behind, the photographs that they left behind, all of that mm. were like works of art in and of itself. And you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, having Miranda July narrate all of that. And having all mm. of that put together in 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 kind of like a very in-depth and intimate look into the life of this couple, mm. uh, and and what they loved and their love for mm-hmm. each other was uh well deeply deeply impactful. Uh and yeah. and you know uh, yeah I I will remember this film fondly. Uh it, we caught it early in the year. I still think about it every once in a while. And when people ask me about it, I, I've got nothing but good things to say about it.
0: yeah. Um, Love this documentary. Best of 2022, Mm -hmm. um, easily. Uh, My number seven is a film uh, from Germany Mm -hmm. called uh, Great Freedom. Um, This is only available in Singapore via VOD, so I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Great Freedom is a moving and tender and bittersweet portrait of an imprisoned gay man Mm -hmm. in post-World War II Germany. Um, As it turns out, uh, liberation by, by the Allies does not mean freedom for everyone. Uh, we follow our lead character, Hans, who is initially freed from a concentration camp. Yeah. A, a concentration camp of gays, only to be immediately imprisoned again under paragraph 175, a law criminalizing homosexuality. Um, so yeah, he went from one jail, freed. Mm-hmm. The German authorities put him in another jail because homosexuality was outlawed, uh, both in fascist Germany and apparently democratic Germany. Um over the course of decades of incarceration, he is locked up, uh, released, uh, has sex with a gay man, locked up again, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. This happens over 30 years. He develops an unlikely yet tender bond with a cellmate named Victor, who is a convicted murderer mm-hmm. and quite a homophobe. But they seem to vibe, um, and their friendship might deepen into something more I won't spoil it yeah. um, This is a contemplative uh, Austrian slash German Character study And it's such an exquisite Blend of Personal, political And sensual storytelling Which is uh, why it's Number 7 on my list uh, What's your number 6 Aisha?
1: My number 6 is Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, yep. If you haven't yep. already heard Of the now Extremely popular uh, Film Uh, Brought to us by uh, the same people who made Swiss Army Man, right? Uh, Daniel and the Daniels. Uh, Yeah. uh, Everything, everywhere, all at once is probably. uh, It is definitely the best multiverse movie that has come out this year. uh, For sure, and might be the best multiverse movies that we are going to have for a while, uh, if Mm. if if things uh, go as they are going at the moment, right? Uh, We. It's a. comedy uh, slash kung fu epic about uh, Michelle Yeoh's character who plays like a depressed um, laundromat owner Yep. uh, that is forced in uh, the responsibility of saving the multiverse is thrust upon her Mm. Um, but that's just like the first layer of it there's like multiple layers of it and like if you haven't already watched this film um it would be like a massive spoiler. So I'm not going to go too much into detail. We've talked about um, this on genre equality before. So if you do want a little bit more and what yep. uh, all three of our reviews for the film was, please go and check out that particular episode of genre equality. Uh, for sure. Yeah, that's my uh, number six. Uh, watched it the when it came out. Watched it again when they re-released it. Um, mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, one of my favorite movies of the year. It just has... So so many good things about it, and Michelle Yeoh is
0: killing it at
1: the moment. I Love her
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, my number six is another film from Iran called Layla's Brothers. Um, it is set in cutthroat and corrupt Tehran, and we follow our lead character Layla as she cares for her elderly parents and for adult brothers. Um, her family fortunes are in sharp decline. They are dirt poor and broke. And the family is surrounded by wealth and respect that could have been theirs if they made different decisions. So, Leila dreams of starting a family business as a way out of the smothering depths and to avoid spiraling into poverty. However, her very well-laid plans are sabotaged, either intentionally or unintentionally, by her self-pitying parents, her unreliable band of brothers and the gendered expectations around Iranian society. Hmm. Leila's Brothers delivers a microcosm of patriarchy in Iran with an emotionally charged screenplay that pierces through the veil of oppressive traditions. And in a society ruled by self-interest to the extreme, um, a family member will have no qualms throwing another under the bus just to get ahead. And that's no different for Leila's families, and that's uh, and that's no different for Leila's brothers. Uh, this is one of the best most intricate, most funny and most moving uh, family dramas. Um it is like the poor Muslim version of Succession. Hmm. Uh, a lot of it really is like Succession tonally and stylistically. Yeah. It's just set in a Muslim country and these people are poor. Oh. But their behavior is very successionist. Um yeah, uh, go check this one out Once it is released I'm not sure actually When it's going to be released This was uh, Another one of the films uh, During, you know Of course, a lot has happened In Iran this year mm-hmm. uh, They have banned This film as well Yeah, um, it, it Was managed to be snuck out And is showing at film festivals yeah. But we have no idea how this is going to get a wide release and hopefully it does one day. Yeah. Uh, that is my number six. Uh, what is your number five?
1: My number five is a film that we covered in the first half of the year for Best Films and mm. it's Come On, Come On. Uh, come On, Come On. Yeah. Is, in our opinion, uh, probably Waheen Phoenix's like best career performance uh, so far. Definitely. We follow Johnny who's um, a journalist, a a radio journalist who is embarking on a project to interview children across uh, America um, about the world's uncertain future and mm. in the midst of all of that that uh, in the midst of this really kind of like busy project he his sister turns to him to watch uh, his 8 year old nephew Jesse mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. while she tends to her husband who is uh, suffering from some mental health issues uh, yep. um, yeah he agrees and ultimately Johnny finds himself connecting with his nephews in ways that surprise him, right? Despite the fact that he works with children, uh, all of mm-hmm. that. Um, eventually taking Jesse on a cross country journey from Los Angeles to New York to New Orleans. Uh, and it's interspersed with this amazing kind of like interview segments of, of him interviewing the children and mm. uh, all of that. It is a beautiful, very uh, emotionally tender. Uh, and surprising uh film uh especially mm. like given a lot of what people remember of waheen phoenix previous performance in recent history mm-hmm. uh as well not just as uh the joker and and um you know all of that uh yep. yeah i love this film uh it is uh, so beautifully uh captured and so well told um, if you want to hear more about our thoughts about it, please go check out our earlier episode from the earlier half of the year uh, for yeah. the films that we enjoyed uh, for the first six months of the year.
0: Definitely, yeah, yeah. This is one of the highlights on the first six months mm. of the year, and it continues to be a highlight once the year is out. Mm-hmm. Come, come on, one of my favorites as well. One of my top twenty-five films of the year as well. Um, this is uh, next up. Our my number five, yeah is a film that we've already talked about. It's RRR. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so just tune back to earlier in the episode to hear our lengthy discussion about this Tollywood film mm-hmm. that has uh, basically brought Tollywood out of Bollywood's shadow mm-hmm. uh, for, for this year, at least. Um, in an amazing coincidence, our top four films seem to synchronize. So yeah. let's talk about them one by one. Yeah. Uh, our number four is The Fallout mm-hmm. by Megan Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows high schooler Veda uh, played by Jenna Ortega as she navigates the emotional fallout she experiences in the wake of a school shooting. Uh, relationships with her family, friends, and her view of the world are forever altered. This is another directorial debut, this time by Megan Park, mm. and it affects the tragedy of a school shooting to craft one of the most sensitive and piercing and defining Gen Z films yep. uh, that's ever been made. Mm-hmm. Um, from the gloss of social media to the lasting traumas of the survivors. But Fallout is an unflinching look at a shell shocked generation of children, yeah. That is, and it's grounded in its bravely authentic and very realistic portrait of teen life. Mm-hmm. This is not euphoria, yeah. Um, it is emotional, lively, intelligent, and lyrical. And it's a, it's a, this film is a gut punch yeah. that you will not ever forget. Yeah, uh, your thoughts about uh, the Fallout. Uh, we love Fallout from the first half of the year, we talked about it in
1: depth in that episode as well. Yep. Uh, yep. If you've recently caught Wednesday and think Jenna Ortega is has these moments of brilliance in there, but is hampered by a mediocre script and even more mm-hmm. mediocre setting, the Fallout is one of the places where you can watch her absolutely shine together with Maddie Ziegler. Uh, yeah, it is. Euphoria is great in its own way, but the Fallout is critically important,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Uh, they mean very different things, despite certain similarities with the demographic that they're exploring definitely
0: Uh, yeah yeah um Jenna ortega has two films in my top 25 Mm -hmm, list if you go over to pop wire uh one of them is x Mm -hmm. uh one of the best horror films of the year and one of them is the fallout yeah one of the best dramas of the year so good year for Jenna ortega but of course these two titles pale in comparison to (laughs) the international success of wednesday that is breaking all sorts of english language records that netflix has had Mm -hmm. uh so good on her for having a, a pretty big year both on the criticals side and on the commercial side, I yeah, think. Absolutely. Um so yeah, really good one. And on the genre side too, with uh, with X. Yeah. Um our number three, we've just talked about happening. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the best films of the year coming out of France about abortion. So just tune back to listen to our review there. Number two is a film we've also talked about this time from the first half of the year, yeah. where we talked about our favorite films from the first six months. It is a Norwegian film called The Worst Person in the World. Um, <laughs> it stars Norwegian actress mm. Uh It's and it, she is the heart and soul of this touching and inventive account of one millennial life mm. that unfolds over several years in Oslo. Um, although she is very much not the worst person in the world, um, her medical student and writer <laughs> and artist and photographer no. is the perfect avatar for the uncertainties and confusions of young adulthood. Uh, particularly young adulthood as a millennial mm-hmm. A whole mess of conflicting desires Moments of directionlessness And emotional rawness uh, That feel endlessly relatable If you're around this age Which I am um, You know, uh, her show-stopping run Through a freeze frame city Is possibly the movie moments of the year And any film that can combine Questions of mortality With fun uh fully alive scenes of sex and social awkwardness and professional screw ups and romantic comedy cliches that end up not being clichés. Yeah. Uh, uh ends up being a fun, rich, unique theatrical experience. Uh the worst person in the possibly the best rom com I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. What about you? What do you think about Oil Number Two?
1: I mean like we we've talked about it in detail early in the year. Yeah. Uh still, yeah. Worst personality stands out in my mind it's not just because like of the, the the catching title right like when you see the title worst person in the world it's like oh okay I'm, I'm, I'm curious I'm gonna kind of like check this out uh, so mm-hmm. many things about the film are relatable right and to me like some of the most memorable scenes <clears throat> that I still can recall to this day is actually the one the, the socially awkward way she navigates through like through the new experiences she's getting from her new ambitions right uh, and yep. like it's hilariously funny, but at once like has a very deep resonance uh as well. Uh yeah, love the worst person of
0: Such a it's such an interesting and fun watch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um and our number one, as we have kind of hinted at earlier, <laughs> is Aftersun. Mm-hmm. Uh we've already talked about After Sun. I think this is 2022's best film. Yeah. I think when you watch it you will agree with me. It's a beautifully oblique debut feature. We've talked about why we love it. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah, that's our number one after Sun. Um, for the longest time this year, I watched the worst person in the world way way back in February. I know the film came out in March yep. in uh, Singapore. Yeah. Uh caught a press preview in in February. Yeah. And, and mid February, I already decided the worst person in the world was probably going to end up being my number one film of the year. Yeah. I was so confident in its quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it held on. It held on for such a long oh time. God, yeah. Up until December the third, mm-hmm. when after Sun debuted. Mm-hmm. Uh Quite honestly, in the 11th hour... After Sun took its place, it deserves to take its place. Yes, absolutely, but um, I feel a bit bad for the worst person in the world because it it basically lost on penalties, uh, like France. This is it. It could have been if After Sun just came out a little bit later. Um, yeah. but what to do? Uh, After Sun is the best. It is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we recommend you check out all of our top ten recommendations, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, from both from both sides. These are all really re- great films in a stellar year mm-hmm. for cinema all around the world. Yeah, I am actually quite pleasantly pleased that. The majority of our top ten yep. uh does not come from America. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean there, there are buttons. The
1: yeah, it's in the minority of our top ten.
0: For sure. Um from my list, there is only one film from America that is the Fallout. Ooh. Um from your list, there is Fallout and Two Netflix. films from America. Yeah. Uh, three films uh, The Fallout, Come On, Come On, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah,
1: that's
0: right. Uh, which us Asians have kind of adopted as an Asian film, but it's yeah. not. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's an Asian uh, film.
1: You, definitely. Right? Uh, people definitely, are been joking. Yeah. There's just this upward trend of uh, young Asian filmmakers getting parents to apologize to them in film.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm Turning Red is up there as well. We've yeah. discussed that in General Equality. So yeah. this is a big year for Asian parenting, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that wraps it up for the 59th episode of the Behold podcast. We'll be back in January, on January the 1st, as always, to discuss lots in General Equality 61. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about Gomo de toros Pinocchio in much, much greater detail. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about Abitur 2, Way of the Water, which ended up, I think, being way better than people anticipated. I've not seen it yet, but... Yeah. We shall see. Mm -hmm. Um, Witcher blood origin. I think uh, Hardy will cover that one. I think Isa might also if he watches. Yeah. Um, But Isa will be very very busy with his anime corner because there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. I'll try to help him out there. Yeah. Hardy will help him out there as yeah. well. We'll we'll be timing in. Uh lots to talk about. Um nothing much to write home about in quick hits, a couple of solid titles, but mm-hmm. nothing really great. Hardy wants to end the episode by talking about Whoa. the overhaul in the DCEU, which to in fairness to Hardy, I mean I don't like the DCEU, but this is a major turning point, at least in the film industry, yeah. in the water barbers, um film industry, because so much is happening, yeah. so much controversy is surrounding this mm-hmm. and we'll let Hardy break it down for us because he is, I think, mostly worried about what The Rock is going to do but okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I, I guess Henry Cavill too huh? but Henry Cavill being, spoiler alert, fired uh, as Superman yeah. uh, gives him a chance to work on his passion project which is Warhammer 40k. Which we know
1: um, Hardy loves.
0: Which you know Hardy loves too, you yeah. know. So, I mean, don't be sad that he's no longer The Witcher. Don't be sad that he's no longer Superman. Yeah the guy is making a Warhammer 40k show hmm. that he's writing, directing, and starring in. So, hey, good for him, man. He's going to need all the time in the world to yeah, do that one. Absolutely. So, he, yeah, I'm glad that he has free time, finally. <laughs> um, uh, this has been a good year mm-hmm. for film and TV. We'll be back in January. We will be taking a bit of a break. Uh, in January on the Behold side, there won't be any Behold episodes in January, but we will yep. be back in in February for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, gotta take a little break. Yep. Uh, till next time, guys. Happy New Year. This has been Hitzer. I'm Aisa. Goodbye, guys. So.